Our text for this morning is the one upon which Nick's children's sermon was founded. It is the 25th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. I want to thank you for inviting me back. As I've said in the past, it's always a surprise to me when I get invited back anywhere. And so I'm, uh, I'm happy when there's a second or third opportunity. So thank you. This text of Scripture is known by biblical scholars as the Little Apocalypse. It is the closing section of the fifth section of the Gospel of Matthew. And it is known as the Little Apocalypse because in it Jesus is talking about the end of time. And specifically, he's talking about the Day of Judgment. So you hear the Word of God. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations, and He will separate people from one another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will place the sheep on His right hand, but the goats... On the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you for the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer, truly I say to you, as you did it to the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels, for I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty. You gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison you did not visit me. Then also will answer, they will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Let us pray. We thank you for your word, O Lord. It is the firm foundation upon which our lives are built having been called to salvation by you, by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Teach us now, Lord, of how you would have us to live for your praise and for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I said to Nick when he walked off the chancel, you've stolen all my thunder. I appreciate most particularly that 
he raised with the children the theological issue that's presented by the text. People read this text and they say, is it teaching that if I feed the hungry and clothe the naked and do all these things, then I'll have salvation? He raised that question with the children. And I was absolutely delighted to hear his answer. The answer, of course, is no. One of the most important interpretive questions we can bring to a text of Scripture is this one. What can't this mean? Based upon everything else that I know from the Scriptures, what can't this mean? And the Scriptures from the opening cover to the closing cover of the Scriptures underscore that it's not by works of righteousness that we have done, Titus 2, 5, and 6, but by His grace He has saved us. And so the text before us this morning, as Nick properly points out, is about Jesus is talking to individuals who are His followers of, of His, and because they're followers of Jesus Christ then, whose lives have been transformed by the Holy Spirit and who want to live for the praise and the honor and glory of their Savior because they belong to Christ and have the power of God living in them, then therefore they do these acts of compassion. Visiting those in prison and those who are sick. Feeding the hungry and, and clothing the naked. This is the ministry of compassion. When Jesus Christ, by the Holy Spirit, comes into our lives, the Holy Spirit is transforming us to be more like Jesus. As Paul said to the Corinthians, we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being changed into His likeness, Christ's likeness, from one degree of glory to the next. And this is the work of the Lord, who is the Holy Spirit. We commit our lives to Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit enters our lives, and He remakes the image of Christ in us. So even as Jesus had compassion for those who surrounded Him. We are called to have, and enabled by the Holy Spirit, to have compassion for those around us. I was hungry. You fed me. I was thirsty. You gave me a drink. I was a stranger. You welcomed me. I was naked. You clothed me. I was sick. You looked after me. I was in prison. And you visited me. Notice some of the characteristics of this ministry of compassion. First of all, I suggest to you that these are simply ordinary activities regarding the needs of daily living. 
There's nothing extraordinary here. Feeding, clothing, visiting, offering a drink. Nothing out of the ordinary here at all. Nothing that would cause us to say, well, I, I, I can't do that. We need to have an agency do that. The government needs to do that. This faith-based organization needs to do that. And of course, they do all those things. But that doesn't let us off the hook. The follower of Jesus Christ is called upon to do the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ in the everyday, ordinary kinds of things. The bad news of the text, friends, is that we're not off, let off the hook. A second characteristic, therefore, then, is that meeting these, these needs requires no special gifts or talents. What special gift or talent is required to give a thirsty person a drink? What special gift or talent or calling is required to offer the person who is naked clothing? What the text is telling us is that this is well within the wheelhouse of every person sitting in this room today. We're not let off the hook. We can't say, oh, well, that, that's for somebody else to do. Or... That's what the Board of Deacons does. This ministry of compassion is a ministry for all of us. Thirdly, it strikes me as I look at the text that the, those who are identified as the righteous ones, they are astonished. Did you notice the astonishment in their voices in the text. Lord, when did we see you hungry? When did we see you thirsty? When did we see you sick? When did we see you in prison? You see, those who do these good works of compassion, they have no consciousness of doing a good work. They don't do it and then think to themselves, well, aren't I something? Haven't I really demonstrated the Christian life? Rather, it was a service. It was spontaneous. It was gladsome. It was grateful. It was humble. And then it was forgotten. fourth characteristic of this ministry of compassion is that it was done to the least of these, my brethren. Inasmuch as you've done it to the least of these. Here's a theological issue, Nick, you can tackle the next time. The big question, who is he referring to? Who are the least of these? There are libraries filled with doctoral dissertations trying to answer that question. Some would say, oh, he's talking about the Jews. Others would say, no, he's talking about the disciples. 
Others would say, oh, he's talking about meeting the needs only of Christians. And I would suggest to you the answer is all of the above. Because Jesus was no respecter of persons when it came to meeting their needs. All who are in need are those to whom we are to reach out with love and compassion. Fifthly, I would suggest to you that this ministry of compassion has got to be inaugurated by us taking the initiative. Hence the sermon title, Taking the First Step. In order to do these things, we've got to take the initiative. Where does this initiative come from? Well, it comes from God's image being rebuilt in the follower of the Lord Jesus Christ because God is the great initiator. God is the one who said, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, let us create. And they spoke. And that which was not came into being. God was not compelled. He was not required. But God, in and of His own love, initiated the work of creation. He also initiated the work of salvation. Ephesians chapter 1 speaks of this in glorious, glorious terms. Even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, God reached out to us. The book of Romans, but God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, God took the initiative and Christ died for us. This initiative is born out of God's image being made in us. It's born out of the love that He has shown to us and the love that He enables us to have for others. It's born out of obedience, simply knowing that we must act in this way. It's born out of a life that's been transformed by the Holy Spirit. Having the eyes of Jesus to see the needs in people as Jesus sees their needs. And having the heart of Jesus that breaks like the heart of Jesus. I'm reminded of Jesus looking out over the crowds. And they looked like they were harassed and like a sheep without a shepherd. Jesus' heart was broken that they're suffering. That's the heart that we need to have. This taking the initiative for a ministry of compassion is prompted and led by the Holy Spirit. It doesn't come because somebody's beat over the head about it. But because God, living in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, challenges us so to do. 
And finally, let us underscore the fact that there are things that discourage us from this work of compassion as well. It's all the distractions in the world. Every bright and shiny object in the world that surrounds us that distracts us. We're distracted by our own needs. We're distracted by our own desires. We're distracted by our lack of love for others. And we are distracted by a half-heartedness. Do you know what the six worst words that are uttered by followers of the Lord Jesus Christ when it comes to compassion? It's this. These words. If you need anything, call me. Why do we say that? We say that because we want to indicate that we have compassion, but we know and we'd bet dollars to donuts that nine times out of ten, that person's not going to call us. And if they do, we think, my gosh, can you believe so-and-so just called me and they want me to this, thus, and so? Let not our compassion be half-hearted. Let us take the initiative. Oh, you know, I, I, I don't think we should, we should do this. They, they may be offended by it. Rarely are individuals offended when we reach out to them in love and compassion. As a pastor for 50 years, I've heard individuals say, you know what? I was going to go see so-and-so in the hospital. But I didn't know what I would say. I didn't know what I would do. I didn't know how I would react. And I would tell them the same thing. What I found as a, a young pastor and carried me through my entire ministry. And that's this. 99% of what a person needs to accomplish by visiting someone is accomplished when you walk through the door. Just showing People in need are not looking for great theological treatises. They're not looking for the answers to their problems. They're just looking to know that you care and you actually showed up. I spent a lot of my time in ministry here in Pittsburgh making hospital visits. If you've ever been, if you've ever made a hospital visit in Pittsburgh, you know what a trial that can be. You fight the traffic going into town. Once you're in town, you fight the traffic getting over to the hospital. Once you get 
into the hosp- to the hospital, you've got to figure out, is it Presbyterian? Is it Montefiore? Is it McGee? Is it Mercy? Then you've got to figure out where to park. And if you can find a place to park, if you can afford to pay for the parking, then you've got to find the room. You know what the person in that hospital room? They know that. And so when the door opens and you're standing there, you've accomplished 99% of what you need to accomplish. For a period of time of about two and a half years, I was visiting a uh, prisoner in Greensburg, state prison there. If you think it's difficult to make a hospital visit in Pittsburgh, try to visit a prisoner. Wow. It's all of the above that I've mentioned, plus being searched. But 99% of what I needed to accomplish with Ricky Murray was accomplished when he walked into the visitor lounge and I was sitting there. And he would always say, you came back. I didn't think you'd come back. Friends, when Jesus gathered with his disciples after the resurrection, before he ascended into heaven, the disciples said, Lord, will you now return the kingdom to us? And Jesus said, no, you're, you've misunderstood. But understand this. You shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, your hometown, and Judea, a larger area, and Samaria, a larger area still, and even to the uttermost parts of the earth. For 2,000 years, the question has been asked, what is the most effective way to be a witness for Jesus Christ and fulfill His Word from the book of Acts, the first chapter? And I want to suggest to you that one of the most powerful, powerful ways of being a witness for Jesus Christ are these acts of compassion that are prompted by the Holy Spirit, motivated by love, done for the praise and the honor and glory of our Savior. May God help each one of us so to do. And so now let us pray. I thank you, Lord, for the good word of truth shared with our children this morning. And I thank you for this word that your spirit speaks to us adults as well. Lord, we are so wrapped up with ourselves and so distracted by the world around us we fail to take the initiative. We excuse ourselves by thinking that it might be too obtrusive. 
Yet, Lord, you told us that the follower of mine reaches out in compassion. For your praise, Lord, and for your glory, I pray that you'll help us to be those kinds of disciples and the strong witness thereof of the kingdom of God and of the love of the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for us that we might have life in all of its fullness. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.